because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. There is one Senate race that is getting a lot of attention right now, uh, the Battle Royale in Massachusetts, where veteran Democratic Senator Ed Markey is facing a primary challenge from Joe Kennedy III, yes, A. Kennedy, grandson of Robert Kennedy, grandnephew of former President John F. Kennedy. And um, it has become quite the battle, neck and neck attack ads uh, running on both sides, which is a little uh, surprising given these are both staunch liberal Democrats, but it's quite a race. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've been able to cover a Kennedy race. uh, So it's kind of fun. And um, what's interesting about it so far is uh, Ed Markey, has been willing to go right at the sacred cow. He's actually uh, going after the Kennedys. The Kennedy name forced uh, Joe Kennedy to uh, hold a press conference defending his family's name and legacy. So that makes it pretty interesting. And we've got the aforementioned Joe Kennedy III on the show today. So let's get right to it. We are now joined by Congressman Joe Kennedy III, who has represented the 4th Congressional District in Massachusetts since 2013 and is challenging in a hotly contested primary, Senator Edward Markey, who has been in Congress for more than 40 years. Congressman Kennedy, welcome to Skullduggery. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really thrilled. So you and Senator Markey are both progressive Democrats. There is not a lot of daylight between you on policy issues. So for our listeners who have not been following this race closely. What are the most important differences between you and Senator Markey, and, and what's the rationale for your candidacy? So thanks, and, and thanks for having me. So a couple of things here. Literally, the biggest difference between, between the two of us is how we define the job. And Senator Markey has said, essentially, that the biggest, that the central responsibility of a legislator is to, of a senator is to, uh, is about the, the votes that you cast and the bills that you file. And yes, of course, that's important. <laughs> But there's so much more to the job than just the votes that you cast and the bills that you file. There's just, I I wholeheartedly disagree with that limited vision of the role of a United States Senator. And so here's how I would approach the job. One, particularly now, like you gotta be here. You gotta be in our communities, in our streets, listening to people that are on the front lines of a COVID response, that have faced economic devastation because of our government's unpreparedness for for this pandemic because of the inequities of our, in our economy and our healthcare system and to fight for them every single day. And the fact is that Senator Markey doesn't live here. He lives in Washington. He spent less time here than Elizabeth Warren did when she was running for president and spent far less time here than any other member of the delegation. Second, you got to be in D.C. fighting for us. And that's where Senator Markey said that he needs to be and, and great. But between the time that COVID really hit our shores here in Massachusetts till uh, through the August recess, the Senator missed over 50% of the votes in Washington, DC. Now that was a time when we were drafting 
response to a pandemic and trying to save our economy, and he actually wasn't there. Third, you say, okay, well, if you're not in Washington and you're not in Massachusetts, then go on out, take this race to the, take your case to the front lines. Go out there and fight for the changes we need so we can hold this administration accountable, particularly in 2018 when Republicans had the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Senator Markey, well, I went to about 20 different states around the country for dozens of different candidates in the House and Senate because I recognized that if you wanted to do things like have gun violence reform and raise the minimum wage and pass the Equality Act and hold this administration accountable, we needed to do so. And uh, you need to win back a chamber of government. So I was in all those places. Senator Markey literally was in zero, not one. Congressman, it's uh, it's Mike Isikoff here. Um, this race has gotten pretty negative with attack ads on both sides, which is pretty surprising um, for a Massachusetts Senate primary in which you do basically agree on most issues. How did this become such a negative race? Mike, and, do you, I, and, do you, and do you regret that? So, uh, look, I, I, would, I would have hoped that this would have been a positive campaign from the beginning. And you know, for if, for those of you that did see the debate last night, you saw a bit of a back and forth on this. You know, from the moment, literally the moment I got in this race, the, the, I think I got in on a Saturday and that Monday, there was a negative digital ad about me on that Senator Markey's team put out, right? You know, and between the stuff that's been said online and his fundraising report, his fundraising emails, their team has come at me pretty hard for the past, over the course of the past several months. I um, I don't think anybody wants, nobody likes, certainly nobody likes to be the subject of uh, negative ads or negative commentary. Uh, I think what we've also seen um, candidly here is because the biggest, some of the biggest differences between the two of us are the way in which we approach this job. And there's some votes there that I think are worth highlighting, which I, I can get to in a second. But because of that, it's COVID-19 has also limited our ability to, to actually show those differences. And so what we've seen from that has been the consequence of that, because you can't get out and about and, and show the type of retail-based campaign of what it means when you bring people in and build the momentum and ask people to be part of something. You have the differences highlighted by the distinction between the two of them. And that ends up being an, an erosion over time where, look, I would say, um, when I point out his voting record on things like the fact that he was against the desegregation of the Boston public schools or voted to protect Bob Jones University from allowing, from uh, he, he tried to prevent interracial relationships uh, on campus to his support from the crime bill, et cetera, and the way in which he's treated some of his constituents who asked for help, including a black mom and dad who came to him to ask for help when their son was murdered by a white police officer and he didn't do anything to help them, and in fact, use the word colored in the meeting, the senator can refer to that as a negative. Those are also factual. That's not me trying to run a Congressman, negative campaign. Yeah. Well, one issue that uh, Markey has gone after you on is that you're running on your family name, and which is not the first time a Kennedy has faced that charge, as I'm sure you know, your uh, great race. uncle, great <laughs> uncle, when he first ran for the Senate in 1962, his primary opponent said, if, it was, if your name was Edward Moore instead of Edward Moore Kennedy, your candidacy would be a joke. But that said, your father 
pump $2.8 million into a super PAC that is running ads in favor of your campaign, doesn't that play into the overall charge that you are running as a Kennedy and feel entitled to um, a Senate seat as a result? No, Mike. So the not at all. And look, I've I am so take the politics out of this. Literally from anything I've ever done, that has been the accusation, right? Whatever job I've ever had, whatever school I ever got into, whatever accomplishment you ever had, it's because you're because of your family name. And that's like that's fine. I, I'm accustomed to that. I got the same question in my first race for for Congress. I think that if you ask my constituents, I won. I I had a primary challenge in my last race. I won 95 to five. I think that if you ask my constituents across the fourth district, they would say that I, I was focused on their needs and concerns and, and had done a good job of representing them. And so part of this, in a way I've tried to approach my, my public services to understand that, that, that frame and that critique and to go out there and prove it and earn your way through it. Because that's ultimately, that's the only thing you can do. Yeah, but that, um, that said, Congressman, I yeah. think you said that you had no clue your dad was pumping all this money into the super PAC, which, you know, some people have said does not sound credible. Uh, did you really not know this? And have you not discussed that uh, huge sum to the super PAC with your father? So, Mike, literally, uh, until you just said it, my father has, I know my dad had about somewhere under $3 million in an old campaign account. I have no idea if or how much of that has been diverted to a super PAC. The super PAC disclosures that I am aware of have the funding there from labor unions because of the timing on those disclosures. So I don't know, but my point on this, Mike, right? And let's be very clear about this. I tried for months, months to keep super PACs out of this race, months. I offered the same, I asked Senator Markey to sign the same pledge that he put forward when he was running in 2013. And he ran on a people's pledge, the same pledge that Elizabeth Warren and Scott Brown signed for their Senate race. He ran on it when he ran, uh, first race for Senate. I asked him to sign the same thing so that we didn't have to get into super PACs because I don't want super PACs in this race. He said no, repeatedly for months. There were other challengers in this race at that time, myself and one of the other challengers signed that, that people's pledge. He wouldn't. And so I, I have a pretty hard time accepting some sort of criticism from the senator who was asked to stick by his word and the same pledge that he ran on back in 2013 and 2014 that he somehow walked away from and is now blaming me because he walked away from the same ple the pledge that was good enough for him before. The only reason why super PACs are in this race is because Senator Markey wouldn't stay consistent. Congressman, uh, there ha hasn't been a ton of polling in this race, uh, so it's a little bit hard to, to get a clear read on how you're doing with particular constituencies. But Ed Markey seems to lately have gotten hot among young voters. There's the, the Green New Deal maker ad that went viral, memes about his Nike sneakers. And there are polls that show him leading you by wide margins, particularly among voters under 30. How is it that this boomer who is more than 30 years older than you, uh, seems to be winning the kids and the internet? So that's a great question. So the first part on this, right, which is I think the inconsistency in the polling and pollster had sent me just a quick look at two public polls, one of which had Senator Markey up 50 points amongst young people. Um, and then another poll five days later that had me up 11, a 61 point swing in four days. Nothing happened in four days. I mean, 
stuff happened, but nothing to perpetuate a 60 point swing amongst a critical portion of the electorate, right? So I would just say for, to, to the kind of the first part of your question, I don't trust, I think any good pollster in this race, and I think this has been reflected in, in the media coverage, would say they, no one really knows what's going on. And there's, it's kind of a wild ride there because you've seen polls that have him have it a very close race. There's been some that have him up. There's been some that have me up. There's been some by both by a fairly wide margin. That's because we just, no one knows what a universe is. And so how you weight who's showing up and, and, and that comes down to assumptions, which might be reasonable, but nobody knows. And so I, I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in those polls, but your point he had an ad that went viral. He's obviously some of his, he's been able to tap into, I think this fervor from a, a, a progressive left. I think it is, part of that is a bit puzzling to me because I don't think that the policy positions that the progressive left claims to support are reflective of Senator Markey's record. Senator Markey's record on a number of the critical uh, issues over the course of the past 30 or 40 years is actually very much in line with Vice President Biden if not even further to the right than Vice President Biden, particularly when it comes to immigration and even racial justice. That being said, the progressive left is holding Joe Biden's feet to the fire and demanding that he move leftward, but is giving Senator Markey a complete and total pass. And that's the part that I do um, has been a bit mystifying to me because under normal circumstances, you know, Senator Markey voted for the Iraq war. Senator Markey voted present when asked whether we should send troops into Syria, the only member of the Senate to vote present. Senator Markey was the only member of the Massachusetts delegation, the only Democrat, because we had only Democrats, to vote with Republican Tea Party uh, immigration extremists to try to maximize the number of immigrant detention beds back in 2013 when the Obama administration was trying to cut them. Right? The Democratic caucus, the Congressional Hispanic caucus, and everybody else in Massachusetts voted one way. Senator Markey voted the other. He was in the midst of a, another Senate race at the time. It, the fact that he, again, voted to try to ban interracial relationships on campus or was against the desegregation of the Boston public schools, these are issues that at the very least, right, the a progressive left have, have dived into uh, with regards to Joe Biden's issues and give Ed Markey a complete pass. The senator claims to have written 580 bills, as we talked about in the debate last night. He's claiming co-sponsorships, literally just adding your name to a bill. If it passes under that definition, guys, I wrote the Green New Deal, right? Like, I, that's not a claim I would make, but it's a claim he's well, making. Well, to, to be fair, he's not just a co-sponsor of the Green New Deal. I mean, he, he uh, is. No, ag yeah. Agreed, but he's claiming that he co-wrote, he's claiming credit for 580 bills that passed. And if you look at the bills that he claims credit for, he's claiming credit for bills he co-sponsored. That's the issue, right? He's claiming credit. He wrote the Green New Deal with Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. I'm not debating that. I was an original co-sponsor on day one. I would not claim that I wrote the bill, but he is claiming a similar, a consistent position would enable me to claim that I wrote it. Congressman, I do want to give you a chance to talk about the case of these two fathers, uh, Dan Henry and Colin Bauer, uh, you alluded to uh, briefly before, yeah. both of whom had tragedies involving their kids and went to see Senator Markey in Washington to get his help. Tell us what that episode tells us about the difference between you and, and Ed Markey. So, Dan, look, this is when I say that there's more to this job than the votes that you cast in the bills, this, bills that you file, this is it. Dan and Angela Henry approached me back in 2014 after their son, DJ, was, was, uh, was a college student, was murdered by a white police officer in horrible circumstances outside of his college in, in Westchester County, New York. And I worked with them to 
push a Justice Department in Washington and in New York to try to file federal charges. The, the family had, had to pay for all the investigation out of pocket because the DA, local DA declined to press charges. A, then a, in the shooting, one police officer fired at another police officer, at, at the cop that killed DJ, their son, and testified under oath that the cop that killed DJ was the initial aggressor in the, inc in the incident, right? I mean, as horrible circumstances as you, as you can find. Local authorities did nothing. We pushed on the, on the Department of Justice, and it, we weren't successful. I've still kept in touch with the family. I, I show up at some of the charity benefits they have for, in honor of their son, and are pushing authorities in New York and, and in Washington now. They met with Senator Markey uh, shortly after they met with me, and they met over lunch. They were, felt like they were dismissed. They were insulted. He referred to uh, black people during the meeting as colored, and he never followed up. The only thing he ever did afterwards was this. That's sort of astonishing. I mean, who says that word anymore? I mean, he's a progressive liberal. I mean, was that racist for him to say that? Look, I'll I'll, um, I'll refer you to obviously the, the comments that the father uh, Dan Henry made about that. And as shocking as the, the language is, what's more shocking is that you have a U.S. senator that did nothing, right? And then claims once again claimed credit for doing something where he signed on to the two letters that I wrote. That was it. And. I can't tell you that I have brought justice to that family. What I can tell you is that I've done everything we can to try. I brought them down to the State of the Union to be my guests uh, with, on the Obama administration to highlight their case and to highlight their cause, to introduce them to colleagues and to just keep pushing. Colin Bauer was going through a divorce with his ex-wife, who was a dual national between the United States and Egypt. While his wife had their, uh, their kids during a visitation, she got on an airplane to Egypt landed in Cairo and terminated his uh, parental rights. And Colin came to me to ask for help and, and Senator Markey. And we did try everything again we could. Um, worked with the State Department, our ambassador over there, um, whatever contacts I had in Egypt, to try to be able to have a dad see his kids. And it had gone years. And he met with Senator Markey and Senator Markey was on his phone during the meeting, was distracted and then never returned a phone call. And look, the fundamental responsibility and opportunity, and I think obligation of this job is that when people come to you in need and ask for help, you help. And you have the power of the federal government behind you to try to help. And if you're not gonna, these are parents that came to, to them, to a senator to ask for help and seeking justice for their kids and their family, the most basic human responsibility there is. And he did nothing, nothing. And I, I can't, I don't know how you justify that. Congressman, I have a, another question about your family that's relevant to the COVID crisis. Yeah. We are all hoping, of course, that a vaccine will be available sometime in the near future that will help us alleviate the, uh, the pandemic. Your uncle, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is probably the prime anti-vaxxer in the country. Uh, he has promoted what a lot of people view as conspiracy theories about the impact of, of vaccines. And, you know, in, in the view of many public health experts is, is really undermined public health in this country. Do you share your uncle's no. views about vaccines, about the, uh, about oh, vaccines? Right. And, and have been, you no. spoken, and have you yes. spoken to him about it? Yes. Have you spoken out yes. about this? Yes. I've Yes, repeatedly. Okay. And repeatedly, I've spoken to him about it. I've spoken publicly about it. My other family members have spoken publicly about it. Right. That's not a view I share, and it's not a view I, I obviously promote. And anybody that has watched any of my hearings, uh, or the hearings that I participated in, when it comes to public health or, uh, and the importance of vaccines, would, would know that.
So, Congressman, uh, last night at the debate, you were asked which Republicans in Congress you admire. <laughs> you you, uh, you in said senators. Right. OK. You said uh, at least in the moment you couldn't think of anybody, but you would come back. You would try to come back to that at the end of the debate. I don't think you did. So Skullduggery is going to give you an opportunity to come back and answer that question right now, right here. So I got asked about it shortly after the debate, and I, I will give you the same answer. I have worked with Dan Sullivan, who's the uh, Republican senator from Alaska on uh, protection of domestic violence victims and, and access to legal services. And Roy Blunt has been a big supporter of the Special Olympics. And so um, those are our two folks with regards to that, that work that uh, I would look forward to be able to work with. I couldn't come up with a third. Um, I, I, I was <laughs> I I was thinking maybe you might say Mitt Romney. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, given... good, so uh, so thank you for reminding me. Of, uh, <laughs> so I have, it's it's uh, another service skullduggery offers <laughs> for uh, for for Pauls. Come I, to us. We'll give you spin lines. Thank, yeah. Exactly right. So I have worked with Senator Romney on some issues, uh, healthcare issues, essentially. And he's done, obviously, a lot of work. The, the initial health care reform bill that was passed in Massachusetts that served as a model for the Affordable Care Act was Romneycare. And so, you know, that was a while ago at this point. But um, I would hope to be able to work with him on, on that as well. But thank you. I, I <laughs> try in the middle of the debate to rack my brain on, on Republican senators that I've done a lot of work with is harder than I thought it would have been. So the, the election is on September 1st, or the primary yeah. election is on September 1st. What is it going to be like voting in Massachusetts in the middle of this uh, pandemic? What is your sense of how well the uh, mail-in balloting system is going to work? What are your concerns? I think you said last night at the debate that you were going to uh, vote in person. Why are you going to do that? So we've got, th this election is Nuts, right? We've never seen an election like this in Massachusetts, one, because of the, the nature of this primary, but two, COVID and, and everything else. So we haven't ever done a, a big vote by mail election here. There's about 4.2 million registered voters in Massachusetts, and the vast majority of those are independents, uh, kind of surprisingly for, for many folks. There has been a million absentee vote by mail requests that have already been, been made, which is close to double what we would have expected uh, the overall turnout to be in a traditional primary, close, uh, you know, uh, within some margin of error there. So this is bananas, um, to, to use the scientific term. I have submitted my vote by mail application. I haven't gotten my ballot yet. Um, so um, hopefully that comes soon. We then have a week of early vote, which starts on Saturday, goes from the 22nd to the 28th, and then it's voting in person. So I was... Um, I think we expect to, uh, I'm a big dog fan, so thank you. I'm going to interpret that as validation. <laughs> That's my 17-year-old so, uh, daughter walked into the room and my golden doodle goes crazy. So, <laughs> the, uh, so I, I expect to either be voting in, uh, in person this weekend or at, at the early vote or vote by mail if the, if the applications actually come in. There's been the Secretary of State, they run the elections here in Massachusetts, announced that about 200,000 ballots have already been cast, which is also crazy. So... You know, I think that's why getting back to one of your first questions about kind of where the status of the race is and, and who's ahead and who's going to be ahead, just folks don't know, right? And it's awfully hard to tell. You can get some insight as to, you know, what is what is voting look like and where are those votes coming from. But, you know, if you think that based off, I think, returns in New York, that, you know, roughly half of the number of absentee ballot applications get actually returned. But if it's a million and half they get returned, that's half a million. But 
only 60% of the electorate says they're going to vote by mail. So then you're up towards a million again. So who knows? Go out there, compete for every vote. Um, we are going straight through for 24 straight hours tomorrow morning. So if any of you guys, if you're bored tomorrow, we are going to be hopping in <laughs> a nice van. We start at 2.30 in the morning on our way down to New Bedford. We'll be uh, hanging out at the dock for the fishermen as they head out. And then we finish up, go around the entire state, finish up in Gloucester tomorrow night at about 5 a.m. on Friday morning. Um, so it's uh, welcome. Well, uh, if you're looking for something to do, in well, we are, uh, we always uh, appreciate uh, competitive tight races. So um, <laughs> I want to, I want to thank you for that. And uh, thank you for joining us on Skullduggery. I got, oh, actually, I got one last question oh, for sorry. the congressman, Clemens which is, one more. Ha- have Go. you, have you had the chance to tune in to the Democratic National Convention, this very unconventional convention? And if so, what are your observations? I've seen some of the clips of it. I have not had a chance to, uh, to tune in. As you can imagine, my, um, my time has been um, spent doing some other things. But I think, one, Michelle Obama's pretty cool. Um, two, the roll call last night I thought was pretty cool. I had the honor, gentlemen, of the extremely dubious honor of speaking directly after the first lady in the 2016 convention. And if you've forgotten that, I will forgive you because it was the shortest convention speech of all time. Uh, Not Uh, only do I remember it, but I actually wrote it up. So uh, (laughs) I remember uh, you were introducing Elizabeth Warren as I- uh, So I was introducing Elizabeth Warren, my former law school professor and and dear friend. And I remember sitting backstage uh, and I was watching the, the, because you obviously can't see anything. So I was just watching on this little screen. And I remember listening to the first lady talk about raising her two daughters in the White House built by slaves. I just went, oh my God, I can't believe I have to speak after her. Um, so the only the, uh, the the only gratifying part about that was that you could be quick. So my 60 seconds was was, was done um, briefly, uh, but she is a force. And that was a, quite a speech once again. Okay, Congressman, well, uh, good luck out there. Thank uh, you guys. In the remaining right, days. Thanks a lot. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Always. Thanks guys. Be well.